Ukulele Tales, the ukulele podcast with John Atkins. Hello, it's me, the ukulele teacher, aka John Atkins, and welcome back to Ukulele Tales. As ever, a big, big thank you to our sponsor, Carla Brand Music. Don't forget, for a 10% discount on anything on the Carla website, you can go to www.carlabrand.com slash uteacher or just click directly on the link in the show notes. Okay, no time to waste today. This is a good one. Last September, I had the pleasure of chatting with the one and only Victoria Vox, and I had such a blast. She had just headlined at the Los Angeles Ukulele Festival, and earlier that afternoon, we'd both done some workshops. Now, whether it was the post-show buzz, or just the pleasure of finding a kindred, independent spirit, somehow we both found that we had a lot to say, and I think we ended up chatting for nearly two hours. We'll have a lot of fun talking about how she discovered her incredible gift for imitating the trumpet with her mouth, and how it led to an appearance on the Jay Leno show. We'll also chat a whole lot about pushing boundaries on the ukulele, and the new direction that her music seems to be taking with her terrific latest album, Nirvana in R.E.M. Victoria was so generous with her time, and it was an absolute pleasure to talk to her, so I won't take up any more of yours by blathering away now. Instead, here it is, my conversation with Victoria Vox. I don't know if you noticed, every single workshop today started the same way yours did, with like the host, including me, spending like about 10 minutes trying oh. to get that weird Captain Scarlet headset on. The first workshop, I would say, went pretty smoothly as far as the headset was concerned, although I ended up with like a bunch of black stuff all over my face. After you said um, that, I had to go and check my face in the mirror. <laughs> I was like, what? what's going on there? Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, there was just like bits of microphone or tape or I don't know yeah. what. Um, but yeah, obviously then several people had used the headset in between and probably didn't know how to use the headset. I still don't know how to use it. I used it for two workshops, I have no idea. And so when I got it, I was like, uh, like something's not right. Yeah, mine was just sort of like twisted in half or something. I don't know what was going on with them, but you actually said tonight in your set something about your post-COVID brain. Yeah. You forget a lot of stuff. Have you had COVID really badly or something? Or do you mean just post-COVID times? Or... Um, no, since I've had COVID, uh, so my husband and I had COVID in May. Okay. He gave it to me. Wow. And Wait, that's um, like five months ago or so. Yeah. Like five or six, and so yeah. there's this COVID fog, mm-hmm. and it's like the and so the my first show back. Granted, I hadn't been really able to practice a whole lot while I had COVID. Um, singing was tough. I was like just out of breath. Yeah. Um, and just coughing and. It wasn't, I mean, it, it probably took about three weeks of performing after being out in the world again, where I was like, okay, I'm like settling into a little bit where I was before, vocally and breath-wise. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I was dropping lyrics left and right. Like at, forgetting them? Yeah. Wow. Okay. And I was, I was showcasing at NAMM, yeah. and it was my first show. Like, basically, it was 16 days after... I tested positive. Yeah. And I would, you know, and there's songs like, I mean, I produced the album. I've written all the songs. I've recorded them, you know, how many vocal takes have I done, you know, and yeah. like yeah. making a comp or just singing the song and in the writing. 
And you don't expect to forget songs of a song that you've been singing for like a year. Right. And um, and I was taking sentences and flipping the words around. So all the words were still in the sentence, but it was like they were in a different order. So then the rhyme didn't work. And I'm just like, what am I doing? Wow. And um, so there was a little bit of that. Um, the last show, last festival I did, I forgot to pack up my microphones. Luckily, they had a lot of stage mics, but I was like, oh, like, I really don't want to be singing on other people's mics. And then today, forgetting your, uh, my power supply. Yeah. And so when I practice at home, I have my pe my pedal board plug and the power is like under the desk. So I've got the the power supply under the desk with the cables out to the board where I can reach it. And I guess in my packing up, I somehow forgot to crawl under the desk yeah. and get the power. Yeah. <laughs> and I realized this. I mean, I'd been at the festival all day Yeah. where I could have arranged something or known, you know, like, oh, I need power. Who's got power? And we're literally like starting to set up. And Jack put my pedal board up on stage during the raffle. And I said, can you bring that back to me? And he's like, yeah, well, what's up? And I'm like... I have a sneaking suspicion that I forgot to put my power in the pedal. Like, I don't remember putting the power in the board. Yeah. <laughs> and luckily, Brittany Paiva um, also performs with, like, loop pedals. And I'm just like, if anybody's got the what I need, it's Brittany. <laughs> Amazing. And she did. And, she did. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and, it's, and it's really kind of cool in a way. You know, I've known Brittany since I think we met in 2007 or 2008 and we've both been on this ukulele journey kind of you know do, doing our own things but and then sometimes our paths cross and in the early days neither of us were doing any sort of looping mm -hmm. um, Brittany would have an iPod and play to tracks and then I was just, you know, strumming and singing and singing yeah. my songs. Yeah. And then we'd sometimes play together. Um, but that we both ended up somehow using electronics and kind of experimenting in a way with the ukulele. And the no so for me to know that there's others out there that are like, oh, yeah, they, they're going to have the power I need. Yeah. Well, that's really cool to, to come on from that. That was something I was actually going to ask you because I was listening to your new album you know most well not most of this week for a few days this week i've been listening to it and one of my first questions was gonna be do you not really play the ukulele anymore because it feels <laughs> like there's no ukulele in it you yeah know? but then i've just seen you play most of it live and i'm like oh right it is a ukulele but you're playing with an octave to make it sound like a bass or a ribbon in so it sounds like a banjo yeah or whatever so that there are ukes throughout i'm guessing but, yeah, yeah, so there's I, I there are two songs on the record that I did not play any ukulele, uh, okay. Checkerboard Flooring and Think Twice. Uh, Think Twice I actually wrote on the piano. Mm. Um, and so I hired a pianist to play that song. And then we did like a little pad with Rhodes to kind of just um, give it a little bit of ambient vibe. And then as I was producing the record and then having it mixed, the mixing guy was like, he gave me two versions. He's like, here's Think Twice without, with the piano and the Rhodes. And then here's Think Twice without the piano. And we just felt that the version without the piano felt just in more in the world of the album. Um, but it is a song that I do play on the ukulele and could yeah. sing, perform it. 
and then checkerboard flooring, I same thing. I perf I can perform on the ukulele, and I for that song I actually tune the ukulele down an octave, one octave, and then basically have, there's kind of like a, a a riff that's only using three of the strings, and it's just this pattern. Wait, when you say you you don't tune it. <laughs> Sorry, do you tune it down an octave? Well, I'm not saying you don't do this. I'm saying, do you tune it down or are you using a pedal, like an octave pedal? I use pedal? a pedal, yeah. Okay, right, I was gonna so say, like, okay. The pedal yeah. has the capability to, I mean, it can do minor seventh, major, you know, sixth, minor sixth octaves, perfect fourth. I mean, there's wow, there's yeah, yeah. A, a lot of different intervals that you could change. And I think it would probably work really well for like a metal head, you know, yeah. like electric guitar. So you're not hearing the acoustic instrument yeah. uh, while you're playing it. So you can just be like doo -doo 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 -doo, and play the same thing and then engage the pedal and then you're playing it up a minor third. Right, yeah. <laughs> or then yeah. you can change it again and go up a perfect, you know, so yeah. you can kind of quickly change without necessarily changing your fingering. There was a song you played tonight and, um, and I guess you had like a backing track with drums or something, mm -hmm. right? And then all of a sudden there's a guitar solo, but I'm watching your husband and he's not playing the solo. I was playing and, the solo. And, you, and then I suddenly realized like nearly the end of the solo, I was like, oh, right, you're playing it. So you must have had like a, a some sort of distortion pedal for that or some sort no, of- No, so uh, that was also the octave pedal. That was the octave pedal yeah, as well. So okay. I feel like it sounds a little super trampy and I like it. Right, yeah, yeah, I suppose, <laughs> yeah. So when did you start experimenting with all this stuff? Because I feel like maybe five, 10 years ago when you were on the scene, it was just kind of you and a ukulele or, you know, you and a uke and a, uh, but not all this yeah, effects, I, the pedals and stuff. Right? I toured yeah. with a cellist for six years. Yeah. Uh, and then I've, uh, the um, Aaron Keim from Beansprout, ukuleles, okay. banjo lalies. He used to be in a band called the Boulder Acoustic Society and we'd done shows together. They backed me up on an album in 2010. And then it was in 2011 I did a YouTube project where I basically wanted to get out of my head for a year and I challenged myself to learn and memorize a new song every week. Okay. And so it was the 52 cover song project. I, I bought a loop pedal during that year because there were, I think it was for a Britney Spears song that was written by Kesha or something yeah. like Dance Till the World Ends or so, I don't know what it I was have called. No idea. <laughs> And there was like this backing thing. And I'm just like, oh, it'd be cool if I could like loop the mouth trumpet, you know? And so basically I used it for that. And yeah. that was kind of like my first, like, okay, I'm recording this. And then I, you know, it's okay, that's looped in. And then I can add in the mouth trumpet and then layer that. <clears throat> um, and then I learned a song by Cake, uh, Never There. Oh, I love with that the song. cool I riff. I love Cake actually, yeah. So I would like do the riff and then do the chords and then do the mouth trumpet and yeah. it was a really cool cover is that up on youtube yeah i'll have to find i mean that. it's from like yeah. over a decade ago right, now right. but um it was a really cool project i didn't want to just record myself singing a song and be obviously checking the lyrics yeah you know and you can see i noticed that when i see people performing a song and i sometimes i think like had you just practiced it for two more days yeah. and waited you would have had it memorized and probably it would be that much better yeah. versus the immediacy of like i'm learning this and i want to post it and i get that because i do i mean i've done it too i have to um, i have to confess i'm very very guilty of that yeah, it's okay. but i don't have the time yeah I, like, no and know, it's 
And so with that project, I, I forced myself to be like, okay, what song am I learning this week? And um, there were times I thought I was ready and I'm like, set up the video camera. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna play Blackbird. Oh, you know, it's just like, oh man, I messed up. Stop the recording. Okay, take two. Black, and I, every time I'd have to do my intro of like, hi, it's Victoria Vox. Welcome to the 52 Cover Song Project where I'm learning and memorizing one song a week for the year and this was week, blah, 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 you know. So I'd have to say the new intro every time because I wanted to show that it was like not edited. Legit. Yeah, live. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I think it was like after eight tries and I just had to shut, I shut my computer and I was like, I am not ready. I'm, I need to, I need to shed this song a million more times and then maybe tomorrow I'll be ready Yeah. or the next day. And um, so it was humbling in a way too of like, do I know it? Do I have it? Um, there were a couple songs that I did with a live audience. <laughs> And that was, I was always, you know, it's nerve wracking um, learning a song for, you know, and it could be anything. Yeah. Um, and there was only one and it pushed me as a, a ukulele player and um, in that I was trying to find, I didn't want to just be strumming and singing the chord, you know, playing and strumming the chords and, you know, just figuring out a groove maybe. Yeah. I wanted to learn the, the keen riff. Ding, 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 you know, and just and play, you know, and figure out how I can get those notes while playing the chords. So it helped me like expand my playing a lot. Yeah. Um, and also just um, with the like using a loop pedal being like, oh, I could play different parts over, you know, each other. And I don't know. So it was just a, um, a really cool project that that got me to learn a bunch of music. And then has that informed your songwriting at all? Yeah, yeah. and I, I tend to be a little bit of a songwriter snob where I'm just like, oh, they play cover songs, you know? <laughs> but it was at that time in 2011 when I was like, I hosted a musical get together. And, you know, obviously people want to, they want to hear covers that they're relaxed singing covers and songs they know. And I just felt like I need to learn more songs you know, yeah. so I can just be like, oh, you want to hear this one? Like, you know, or to take a request every now and then. Yeah. And um, I'm just, yeah, I'm really glad I did. And so then the following year in 2012, I uh, embarked on the 52 original song project where right. then I wrote. A and song. was that your idea? That project? Yeah. yeah. And it, okay. Well, yeah, there was a there was another guy named Ari Hest, but it was more for me, people saying on YouTube, oh, we're really going to miss this weekly project and what's next. And the whole time I'm the learning the cover songs every week um, was exhausting. And probably I was over it probably by week 29. Yeah. I'm like, OK. Um, and I let my my travels and I was traveling and touring during this whole time, which was exhausting. But I let my travels influence which songs I did. So like I was in Australia for two weeks and I did Waltzing Matilda and then physical by Olivia Newton John. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. But yeah, you know, you know, you know, just learning the whole part on the ukulele and kind of figuring it out myself without sheet music. And yeah. there was only one song I needed to, that I consulted the sheet music for, and that was Bicycle Race by Queen. So many chords. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, but, I remember yeah. learning that as a teenager, I think. And, oh, yeah. um, I got the book out of the library, in fact, to learn that one. And uh, yeah, the bass part as well, I think I was doing for that. But yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they definitely, um, during that year, I was, because you're, you're learning other songs and it, you might make a mistake and be like, well, that was kind of cool. And then that could inspire a song. And then it was the following year and it was just... Um, I started from scratch every week and I was like, okay, here's week one, here's week two, here's week three. And it could be daunting to think about, oh my gosh, I have to write 52 songs. What am I going to write about? Oh, <laughs> like you could write about anything. And so I really just took, I would just write, you know, I, I don't have to write 52 songs. I have to write one song this week. And so I just started clean slate, mess around, play something, sing something, start recording, turn into something else. I'd sit on it for a couple of days, you know, be like, okay, that's a song done. You know, and I called it my yes year where I just kind of went out and did whatever, you know, if someone's like, oh, do you want to be in my music video and wear pasties? I'm like, yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so like, I just kind of went along with whatever kind of whatever weird life experiences or just been kind of relaxed a little to just feel like just enjoy life in a different way because you don't know how this is filling your well. Yeah. The songwriting well. Yeah. So so what is your life like then? Because um, obviously you're recording and putting music out, but are, are you sort of touring to any big degree at the moment? Or um, as I guess as much as I uh, can, considering the times. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't mean to make that an excuse because I probably could be hustling harder, um, you know, it's, yeah, but things have changed. <laughs> things I mean, have yeah. changed. Um, venues, some of the venues aren't around where I, you know, yeah. that I could easily book a show with. Things are more expensive in yeah. general. Um, so it definitely makes me think twice when I'm like, okay, I'm going out on the road for two weeks and I know people in these cities, but then I have to get the hotels here. There's gas, there's food. You know, it, it can... I, it, I guess doing my taxes during the pandemic from 2019 taxes and spending like $13,000 on travel and food and, you know, and then in 2020, I went to one festival in February and I spent $400 on my plane ticket. Yeah. And then that was it. So I made a lot of less money, if that's a sentence. You made less I money. I made less money. <laughs> But then I was spending less money. Yeah. And so it kind of, it was, I don't know, it was okay. But I guess, I guess what I'm interested in though is, so what would you, if someone says to you, what's your job? Like, how, how do you kind of support yourself? Is it as a songwriter, as a recording artist, as a touring musician? Yeah, I, um, I guess as an entertainer, okay. um, performing songwriter, um, in that I don't or haven't yet written songs for other people yeah um you know if a pop star wanted to cover one of my songs that would be pretty rad so i'm not necessarily writing specifically for other artists um when i sit down to write i'm mostly thinking of what do i want to say and what do i feel like singing about on stage during the pandemic i would say i've taken on about 10 online students which was a nice um you know and has been an 
a, a nice second uh, income stream. And had you done any teaching before then? Not, not really. No, not really. Not to that extent. Um, probably a little bit, probably since moving to California. Uh, I used to live in Baltimore on the East Coast. Yeah. And I would say the ukulele scene isn't as popular as it is uh, on in, the West in Coast. In Cali, yeah, right. Okay. And I think part of it, it's, it's the beach. Yeah. We're by the beach. It's palm trees. It feels like Hawaii. Um, it's also closer to Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. So there's more people that are interested. And, and Jason Mraz, you know, is in San Diego and with I'm Your, the song I'm mm -hmm. Yours. And so it makes sense that people are kind of more interested in like, I want to learn how to play the ukulele or learn with their family or we're going to Hawaii. And, and then also Island Bazaar is a ukulele store in Huntington Beach. I think, have you been there? I don't know that I have actually. Yeah, I'm and not sure. And it's kind of like the hub of ukulele shop in Southern California. Yeah. It was a store that I had been performing at since 2008 when I was sponsored by Koaloha. And I would come, you know, once a year or every other year, have a new album, come do a concert, rolling through. And when I found got married and I'm like, I'm moving to California. Uh, surely the owner's like, oh, we'll keep you busy if you want, you know, and, oh, it, cool. and it, was, it was helpful with my transition yeah. of moving across country to take on some students. So, and then having a, a degree from the Berklee College of Music, I can transcribe music for students if they want. I can, you know, listen to something and figure it out or um, write it down in a less ultimate guitar way yeah 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 okay well one thing that's I'm like, sorry, can we yeah. get some measure breaks please <laughs> we'll be back with more from victoria in just a minute but i wanted to remind you that if you are enjoying the conversation and you love this podcast there are a few ways that you can help out and ensure that it continues Firstly, if you're a part of a ukulele community or have any uke-loving friends or family, spread the word. Ukulele Tales is a free podcast out every Wednesday, and I've had and continue to have conversations with some of the very best ukulele players and personalities in the world. So if you enjoy it, the chances are that your friends will too. So let them know. And as well as this great conversation with Victoria, I've also spoken with James Hill, Jake Shimabakuru, Bernadette Teaches Music, and even Bagiti Kamalo, who was Paul Simon's bass player on the Graceland album. That was a personal highlight for me, I have to admit. And so far, every single one of these conversations has been in person and face-to-face. -face. So you really do get up close and personal with the stars. So help me out a little, and simply by letting your friends know about it. It's available every Wednesday in all the usual podcasty places. And there's usually a YouTube option as well a couple of days later. Secondly... You can support me directly on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash uketeacher and just pledging a couple of dollars a month to show your thanks. It all goes right back into helping me produce the show and you also get a few nice perks like early access to the podcast, bonus material from some of my longer interviews and even the chance to ask questions to some of my upcoming guests. Now don't worry if you can't afford that, these podcasts are and will remain free I want people to hear them. But if you do enjoy them and you want to throw a little something my way, well, it will certainly be gratefully received. 
And also, don't forget, my inbox is always open and I love hearing from you. So if you've enjoyed what you've heard and you want to send me a message or have a bit of a chat, then drop me an email to uketeacher at grabyouryuke.com. And I promise you, I do get back to and reply to every single one. Eventually. Anyway, I've blathered on for long enough now, and there's lots more to get to with Victoria. So let's head back there right now as we find out when and how she actually got her start on the ukulele. So you went to Berkeley and you obviously studied music and everything, but you didn't start playing the ukulele until well after you left Yeah, it was uh, maybe three years after I graduated. Yeah. And so I was there as a songwriting major, um, studying songwriting, and I only really sang while I was playing guitar. So I was always strumming something and singing. And there was a... um, a guy that was from my hometown area in near Green Bay, Wisconsin. I think he was from De Pere. His name is Bob Perrins, fabulous musician, guitar player. Um, I think he plays lap steel, oh, pedal okay. steel. Yeah. Incredible. Um, but he would walk around campus with a little ukulele because he was really like the Beatles. And um, But he would write these really perverted little songs, little yeah. ditties with the ukulele. And it was always this kind of like silly thing kind of weird perverted um you know bob walking around with his ukulele and i was coming back from boston to record an album in green bay and i brought my band and bob heard he's like oh you guys are driving back can i catch a ride so bob comes in the u-haul truck with us he brings his ukulele and we were at a gas station somewhere and he's like you want to try it and i was like okay and i took the ukulele and He's like, it's just like a four strings of the guitar. And I had dabbled in bass. So I figured, oh, it's like the bass. But then it was like nothing was making sense. Like G chord, how do I play a G? You know, or C chord. uh, And I just, I at the time, I didn't quite understand it. So I gave it back and had a thought when I gave it back to him. I thought, wouldn't it be cool if like, a songwriter just used this instrument as like a regular instrument, like not comedy, not for fun, just like, like real, like real songs and played serious singer songwriter songs on a ukulele. Yeah. And I forgot that I thought about that. And then fast forward three years later, I heard the Somewhere Over the Rainbow was inspired. I learned it on guitar and then somebody heard me in my hometown do it. And he, he turns out he had a ukulele collection and he's like, you need to do that on a ukulele. And I'm like, tried that, didn't work. And he's, and I'm like, I'm not going to buy one. I'm like, it's one more thing to carry. And he's like, well, fine, I'll give you one of mine. Okay. And I went to his house. And he had 29 vintage ukuleles hanging on a wall. Oh, yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. And he just took one and it had his toothpick for a saddle and said Duke Hanamoku on it, uh-huh. the little soprano. And he's like, this one's yours. And I immediately bought a Jim Beloff beginner ukulele book. I learned enough chords. I stole some chords from like the Star Spangled Banner and a couple other tunes and wrote 
a song on the ukulele before even learning anything. I hadn't even learned over the rainbow yet. It was like, I wrote a song. Yeah. And people just loved it. And and it was like a, ja- a jazz-tinged um, kind of 20s vibe, um, fun song. And I don't know, I just started, get, people loved it. And they just, at the shows, were like, play the ukulele again. And um, yeah, I just kind of kept doing it. Um, something you said, I was going to say a couple minutes ago, I feel like it's about 30 minutes ago now, <laughs> was about your singing. You said um, you were only singing when you were like strumming a guitar or singing when you were strumming ukulele. But your voice is your calling card, I would say. I mean, it's like an incredible, well, thank you. like really like unique and special voice. Uh, have you not had training for that or? Uh, well, I did it. So at Berkeley, I was a vocal principal. Okay. Um, so I did have to take two semesters of private instruction. Um, just voice. Just voice. Okay. And so I would show up and I would, for the, like, I think it was my first three years, I was with like a pop rock instructor. And we would sing Tina Turner and Cindy Lauper and Madonna and all the things that I wanted to sing. And then my last semester, I thought, you know, I should probably push myself a little bit, you know, like there were people who could sing circles around me, you know, riffs. They grew up in the Baptist churches and been singing since they were three, you know, and it was basically we'd gone in one of my labs, like a vocal lab. Uh, This R&B instructor had all the students stand in a circle. There were maybe 10 of us. And she's like, we're going to each sing Amazing Grace. And one by one, we went around the room and sang Amazing Grace. And the guy to my right was like, my turn next. And he was, you know, like, Amazing Grace, how sweet. You know, and he was like riffing it out. And I was like jaw to the floor. I had never heard Amazing Grace like that. And then it came to me and I'm like, Amazing Grace, how <laughs> You know, like straight, yeah, as straight as straight could possibly be. And I realized, like, okay, I need to push myself and maybe step out of my comfort zone a little bit. So I took a class with this R&B, a set semester with this R&B gospel singer. And we sang, I think I sang with her the first day. And then she's like, you know, what do you, well, what do you normally sing? And I, well, I'm like, I write songs. And she's like, I want you to bring in your guitar next week. And I want you to sing one of your songs. And I sang sang my heart out one of my horrible songs from back in the day and she just sat at her desk and I finished and she looked at me she's like I don't know what you want me to do for you she's like we can run through scales and improv and warm-ups or whatever but she's like you have your voice and yes there are people here that can sing circles around you and they can emulate anybody but what they don't have is their own sound. Yeah. And so I just, I really took that as a, I mean, it was a huge compliment. Maybe she didn't want to teach me. I don't know, you know, <laughs> like you just, you do your thing. Um, but it, it kind of made me realize that I didn't need to be trying to be somebody else, or I didn't need to try to sound like someone else or sing like someone else. And then I just kept doing what whatever I felt you know still growing and evolving and learning on my own but then applying that as I went through my songwriting you know and singing yeah yeah career you know 
I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about your mouth trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how I first heard of you back in, I, guess, I want to say like 2014, 15 or something. Um, did you come to England around that time? I or? think so, yeah. Okay, I didn't I guess, see you, yeah. but I, I knew people who did see you. I was I at, so I was at the one and only Grand South, Southern, Grand Southern ukulele festival oh i didn't even hear about that i don't think it was a one-time deal yeah. also during that time i was contacted by the wall street journal oh and imagine waking up to an email that's like dear Ms. vox we're doing a piece on the unlikely return of the lost art of the mouth trumpet and we understand you are one of the best may we interview you Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I first, like, I was like, is this a joke? <laughs> yeah. You know, like the Wall Street Journal. And apparently they do like a culture piece, front cover, bottom half, front page, bottom half. And um, they did an article and a really cool little video about the history of the mouth trumpet. And when I started um, mouth trumpeting, it was in June 2005. And it was, as I mentioned earlier, about driving and playing ukulele at the same time, writing songs. I was writing a little ditty and it was in my early days of writing on the ukulele and the songs, you know, I was, it was new to me as an instrument. My strum patterns were kind of limited. Um, so they all kind of had this twenties-esque vibe. And the first song I wrote, it had a, a vocal solo and I, Cindy Lauper, scatted it out and but then thought as I was writing another jazzy song with a room for a solo, thinking like, I can't do that for every song. Like I will drive everyone crazy, including myself. So I'm driving on an eight hour drive to Indianapolis from Baltimore and thinking like, what sound could I make with my mouth that might emulate another instrument? And I'm thinking like, you know, I'm just like guitar, clarinet, I'm like, mm -hmm, I don't know. And then I'm just, you know, I don't think, and so I'm, this is like the conversation in my head out loud. Well, you should just try something. No, that'll sound stupid. We'll just try something. Nobody can hear you. Oh, I'm going to look dumb. Don't, no, this is a bad idea. You know, you don't even know what you're going to, you know, like you don't even know what you're doing or, you know, in this conversation, the critic in my head was just like, that is a dumb idea. And I really had to, like, I think I said out loud to myself, nobody can hear you. You are in the car alone. Do it. <laughs> and I didn't know what I was going to do, but I just took a deep breath and was like, oh, and I was like, well, how about that? <laughs> how about that? Yeah. And then I continued to mouth trumpet and I thought like, you know, and I was just, I just went for it and I turned on the radio and I'm like, can I like mouth trumpet along? How low can I go? How high can I go? Got to the gig in Indianapolis, had completely overused my vocal cords to the point where I could not sing. Oh, wow. And so okay. the four, I it was, luckily it was an, a songwriter in the round event. So there were two other writers and you just keep going around in a circle so every third song would come back to me and I started out and I probably started out something kind of lower, a little easier. And then it was like, it got to, and then the, I think it was like the fourth song round. And, um, I went to sing the note and it just was not there. 
And then I'm like, okay, this is going to be a spoken word piece. <laughs> and so I just talked the lyrics. And then I said, I'm really sorry, but I just have, I don't have a voice right now. I've been mouth trumpeting in the car for eight hours. <laughs> and then it was like, my voice came back a week later. And during that time I had the, you know, had to think about what I was going to do with this weird talent I discovered um, and thought like, you know, what, I, oh God, am I going to look stupid or like, is this bad idea? This could ruin your career. Not that I had one at the time. Um, and I just thought, you know, I think of like trumpet players. I'm like, Dizzy Gillespie, do you think he cares that his cheeks get really big when he plays? Or like any guitar player on the planet, like guitar faces? Yeah, yeah. You know, I really shouldn't be concerned about what I look like when I'm making music. If the purpose, the point is to make music. And so I decided, okay, I am going to continue to mouth trumpet. And it took me... I would say like two and a half, three years to get good enough to the point where people were just like, wow. Obviously it's a trumpet. You have to re-tongue every note. You don't have a slide. Right, okay. So you know, trombone, so yeah. you gotta, you've got to go through those valves. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever played the actual trumpet? Have I you, did. You did, so, yeah. Okay. So that also I think helped as far as the knowing the mechanics of a trumpet. But it was, yeah, it was ultimately just really listening and, you know, even just like learning the intro to, but not for me, of but just getting every little, you know, and if I could sing it, and so if I can sing it, then I can mouth trumpet it. And it's a bit just basically a matter of the technique inside my mouth. So I just kept at it. And like the Jay Leno show found me and I went on national television. You're Leno doing <laughs> yeah. that? You're kidding. Yeah. They, they, sorry, I'm talking your ear off. A funny story. In It was at the Dallas Ukulele Festival in yeah. 2009, early 2009. And there is a gentleman there who comes to a lot of ukulele festivals, older gentleman, Joseph. Love you, Joseph, if you hear this. And he was just tickled by the mouth trumpet. And he's like, oh, you know, he's got a southern accent, which I'm not going to do. <laughs> he's like, oh, I love your mouth trumpet. Can I film you doing your mouth trumpet? And I just met this, you know, older man. And I'm just thinking like, okay, but if as long as it's just for your like you're not going to post it anywhere and it's just for you. Fast forward like six months, the Jay Leno show is calling me to do an odd talent on national television. Yeah. And I said, can I, I'm just curious, where did you, um, see you this. know, see the, yeah. how did you know that I did mouth trumpet? And they're like, oh, there was a video on YouTube. So it turns out he bought a new computer at the Mac store. They're like, oh, Joseph, come in and get a tutorial on how to edit use iMovie and did okay. it. oh and Joseph do you have a video that we could edit in iMovie oh I've got this great video of Victoria Box playing mouth trumpet and then they're like oh Joseph and we can show you how to upload it to YouTube right okay and he's like okay you know and he didn't he wasn't thinking you know yeah of yeah. like he didn't go out to 
upload this video on purpose. It just kind of like happened through his class at yeah, the Mac store. Yeah. Like an ogre, yeah. uh, overeager sales assistant. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. And, yeah. you know, he was excited. They vetted the video and, you know, he's like, just, he probably didn't know what you, I mean, he might've known what YouTube was, but so I just thought it was really cute and funny. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, thank you, Joseph. And then the Wall Street Journal article came out in 2015. That was just another, like, people were noticing of like, hey, this is the kind of awkward talent that somebody is doing yeah. well. And it's really kind of, it's really cool that there's all these sounds that we can make with our voices. Um, I was embraced by the beatboxing community in Baltimore. Oh, really? Okay. Which was cool. really yeah. awesome. Um, and it was one of the beatboxers was kind of like hounding me down at my shows of just like wanting to know how I did it. Right, because <laughs> they do all these noises, don't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and basically I, I chalked it up to, okay, you are compromising everything in your mouth to make an actual really good horn sound because you are doing bass, uh, kick drum, snare, and, you know, yeah. like they're doing a yeah. lot inside of their mouth. So of course the the horn isn't going to they're, they're not focused on the the horn in the same way. But he would um Shodake would put together these embody vocal events where it's complete improv. And um he was just like and there was one show that there were six mouth trumpet players and we all got up on stage together not having a clue what we were going to do and it was really fun and weird and you know cool. We should probably start wrapping yeah. it up. Sorry, but you have just brought up your new album, and I did want to ask you about that. I was going to ask you about it when we started, oh, and then sorry. it just <laughs> went in so many different directions, and never even got around to it. But as I was saying, though, I've been listening to it over the weekend. It's fantastic. One, the first thing that jumped out to me, apart from we already spoke about, it feels like there's not even that much ukulele in it, but is that it's the production is so high quality. Um, I mean, how did you do that? It, it, do you have? Uh, a producer? Are you doing it all yourself? So I did that album myself. You've got to be kidding. It was it during incredible. the during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and so I had written um, a few of the songs in 2020 and we were doing our best medicine show, Jack and I as Jack and the Vox yeah. on, on YouTube and Facebook. So I didn't have a lot of time to really get into the project as soon as I would have liked because we were kind of like, Ooh, we got to do something to make money and yeah. get on the internet and streaming. And I think Fred kind of figured like, yeah, probably not going to happen now, you know, cause we had talked about doing this record and, um, it was in, so I'd written a few of the songs and then in January, 2021, I took an online class on music really? production yeah. and songwriting from Ryan Tedder of One Republic. It was all pre-recorded video stuff, so you could kind of take it at your speed. Yeah. And I had already known how to use Pro Tools, and okay. I've been using Pro Tools since 2007, but there's certainly a lot I do not know in Pro Tools. So I was just kind of getting by with like, okay, I'm a songwriter and I set up the microphone and I collect the input. Okay, we're good to go. We got sound. Um, and so with that class, he really focused on, you know, like, hey, if you can't play it, like there's a sample out there, find a sample. 
oh, you can manipulate the samples. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of samples on the album of different uh, like tabla or um, there's a zither and trombones and stuff. And so you find these samples, but then you can manipulate them, chop them up, change the pitch to what you want to hear. Yeah. So there were like yeah. bass lines that I came up with just cutting up samples. Yeah. Russ Walters played upright bass on a couple of tracks and then electric bass on Eye of the Animal. And that was basically him and Jack just jamming out in the room. So I don't know. I just always try stuff, different things. And luck luckily, so Jeff Stanfield mixed the album. Okay, okay. Which was huge. Um, he was a... a very important part of the way that it sounds. So I kind of produced it as far as like, I went shopping, I got the parts, I put them where I wanted them and they sounded pretty good, you know? And Jeff just took the tracks and he added some some beats on some of the, the songs where it was, he felt needed some kind of some groove or would you know he replaced the bass on a couple of things of like came up with a cooler bass part and it's like yeah. thank you and you're cool with that oh like, yeah okay, i love okay. i love collaborating and just like and that's how my first ukulele album came out okay is i had a an acoustic me and a ukulele recording of victoria vox and her jumping flea on a cd yeah and i gave i came to la i played an open mic and I gave my friend Paul from Berkeley, who played cello, li was living in LA. He came to the open mic show and I gave him the CD and I just said, well, this is kind of the direction that I'm going in for right now with the ukulele. Gave him the CD. A week later, he's like, so I hope you don't mind, but I played this for my friend Mike because I think it's really cool and we really love it. And we were wondering if we could add some stuff. Oh, okay. So the album that you hear of Victoria Vox and her Jumping Flea, was me record i recorded everything in green bay wisconsin and all the vibraphone the cello the guitars the recorders the melodica everything was added in a studio in la after like they were right. adding it to like mp3s yeah yeah basically and it was just like they sent me psycho killer with like cello and i was like yes this is so cool yeah yeah you know just there are musicians that can really play their instruments really well. And I would rather hire them. And I might still have something I hear in my head and be like, oh, can you do this? But yeah, yeah I love, you know, um, playing with other people. Well, it's, it sounds really contemporary and really fresh. And um, like I, I guess, like I said, it sort of barely sounds like a ukulele album at all, which I think, and I, I mean that in a, a great way, in a good way. Like Yeah, it. I mean, and I was, to be honest, um, I was a little nervous that Ukulele Magazine would even, like, be interested in, you know, yeah. much less a cover story on yeah. it. Because, yeah, the ukulele isn't really recognizable in the sound of a ukulele. Um, you just don't know what people are going to, how they're going to hear it and how they're going to review it and be like, this isn't a ukulele album. Yeah. And... Um, Blair, the editor, sent me a few questions and I really took my time in, in responding in probably a few days and sent him pages. Right. You know, and I, as I'm happy to share and I'm always probably overshare, <laughs> talking your ear off, um, you know, and he 
he wrote back and he said, this is fantastic. And because I, I had the chance to explain how I'm using the ukulele and what I'm using it for. And, you know, so it is still very much a part of the, the project and the writing process yeah. and some of the recording and yeah, like sticking a ribbon around the strings on my uke to get like a pizzicato harp like sound. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that was just a me. I was creating a vibe. I hadn't written the song yet. And it was just like, ding, 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 you know, because it went with the bass part that I'd created. Yeah. Taking some of the ukulele, like it could just be like a C minor chord instead of just like strumming it. I took the strum, the ran, just the beat one, letting it ring. And I would take the audio file and put it in reverse. Yeah. So it was like a yeah. You know, kind of these weird. So that's like all over like Eye of the Animal. The fact that I play a low G ukulele and that there's sometimes guitar in the mix. So it can also get lost that way unless you really mix it heavy uke. And I think that's one thing I, I liked about Jeff's mixing is he's not looking at making a ukulele album. He just wants to make a good album. Yeah, so it's, it was just fun kind of messing around and finding some different sounds and, and not just being as strummy strummy of like, how can, what can I play on this song? And maybe it's just a little digga digga da. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Because that's all it, it all, it's all it needed. And anything more would have been too much. But like uh, Quest for Love, I wrote that song on the U bass, so I played. Okay. So I played U bass yeah. on the recording. There's there. That's I guess there's a third song without any ukulele, but it was a U bass. Can you just explain the title for me of the new album? Oh, sure. Where it came from? Sure, Nirvana in REM. Yeah. Uh, so it has nothing to do with Nirvana grunge band or REM bands. Um, <clears throat> so the all of the songs are pa either paired or inspired by the artwork of Fred Stonehouse. Which is on the cover. Yeah. 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 So that's one of the one of the 20 artworks in the book. And Fred's made all these paintings and a lot of his paintings are kind of the ideas for his paintings come to him in dreams. The way that he explains it, it's like if I had a dream last night, I'd be like, John, I had this dream last night and you were there and you were a strawberry and we were floating on a boat by a waterfall. And then on the shore were a bunch of half rabbits. And in the dream, it makes complete sense. But then you wake up and you're like, half rabbits on the shore and John was a strawberry? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so he really just kind of, but he just paints whatever he sees in his dreams. Yeah. And so that's the REM, the rapid eye movement. And then the Nirvana in REM, um, the title actually came from the writing of the last song on the album, which was also the last song I wrote for the album. So up until that point, I thought the album was going to be called Stonehouse. And then I was writing Floating on Fruit is the name of the song, inspired by the cover art, which is a painting called Garden. And they had a series of these paintings of a dark forest with a deer and either some sort of other woodland creatures or butterflies. And the one on the cover, the way that the eye is lit up and they're kind of like looking up, it's almost like they're levitating in a trance. And so the bridge 
in floating on fruit sings nirvana in rem and so it's actually like literal nirvana while you're dreaming nirvana being like a state of bliss yeah yeah right okay yeah so it's just it's the literal meanings of the two two words yeah 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 yeah. and um yeah so it was just i felt like and then when i wrote that i was like nirvana in rem is that ballsy or is that just wrong or people and and then sure enough the first show that i played there was a young girl that came and she's like are you gonna play nirvana songs right it's like oh no sorry (laughs) yeah it's just it was more of the literal sense of yeah um nirvana totally zoned out in a trance um float and levitating and so i think of that like you're blissful and you're levitating and then there's this bed of fruit you know i kind of had that moment during your set this evening the sort of uh zoning out not zoning out of, from the music but while we were playing that um the sort of c5 c sus4 c oh that, that yeah that, that was that, during a uh, same dirt i just yeah. went into a complete trance um what song was that a uh, same dirt okay it was yeah, from my yeah. previous album right. but okay yeah. i was just like uh completely somewhere else while i was playing that <laughs> perhaps it's because i'm jet lagged maybe yeah no but the part of it was the music like it was just like oh this is very relaxing and sort of i don't know something happened anyway it was oh, really cool. cool yeah really cool actually yeah well thank yeah. you really last last question that i just thought of. <laughs> <laughs> is that your real name vox of course not okay fine that's okay then okay <laughs> i was no, just thinking was... today i was like that's handy for a singer to have that name but so at berkeley there was another singer there diana gatto was her name and she had a website and this was like websites were just getting going like yeah. i didn't even know what the internet was i thought checking my mail in the mail program was internet okay and then i go to john mayer's room and he's on the internet. And I'm like, your internet doesn't look like my internet. You have color. There's like videos. What? Yeah. <laughs> and so she had her website, dianasings.com. And my maiden name is Davit. So is Victoria Davit. Um, in school, I worked at the library and in the media center. And we had to have folders with our initials. So I had the VD folder okay, <laughs> and it became a little bit of a complex. And yeah. I know people were just joking. They're like, Oh, the VD, you know, oh, like when it's your and, name though. Yeah. And yeah. also I had a falling out with my father for four years and I just didn't, I didn't feel like the name, I didn't feel good about the name of the initials. And I was just like, you know, what's the best slogan I can come up with like VD spread it around. Right. <laughs> you know, <Okay. laughs> And just for marketing, and I just didn't, it didn't resonate with me in a name that I wanted to promote, and um, especially at that time. And so I just, I was like, okay, well, this is 2004, maybe, early 2004, probably 2003, late 2003. And I'm like, I need a, I need a website and like Victoria Online. Oh, it's a porn site. Okay, Victoria Music. Oh, someone wants $300 for that. Okay, Victoria. And I was just trying to come up with something. And I kept thinking, you know, like Diana Sings. But I didn't want to do Victoria Sings. And then I got out the dictionary or something. And I just was like voice. And then I saw Vox. And I was like, Victoria Vox. VictoriaVox.com. So 
I was only performing under the name Victoria, like Madonna, Cher, yeah. Tool, uh, <laughs> you know, all the one namers, you know, they yeah. like Victoria, but it's not even any, I mean, Victoria is a somewhat common yes, name. Yes, yeah, yeah. So to be a Victoria, Victoria. You're never going to be the Victoria, yeah. are you? Right, okay. Right, so, um, but I would, my website was victoriavox.com. And when I started performing in coffee shops, like in Chicago and Minneapolis and getting out, the people yeah, introducing me yeah. would say, oh, and here, you know, and they see that my website is Victoria Vox. So they're assuming my name is Victoria Vox. They're like, and here's Victoria Vox. And I would get really mad. I was like, that's not my name. It's yeah. my website. It's not my name. And then I worked with a producer in 2004 and he was just like, you know, you, you really need a second name for recognition. So he's like, my suggestion is, he's like, I think Victoria Vox is cool. Yeah. But he's like, I would either go with it and ch like change that on your, like your albums will now say Victoria Vox or get a new website. And the thought of getting a new website. <laughs> <laughs> It's a lot of admin, like, right? Like, I barely knew how to do code. And it's yeah. like, oh, and now I need to get a different domain. Like, so I just decided, like, yeah, I think I'll just go with it. And not not knowing what a becoming name it would be. You know, there are, I'm sure there's days that I wake up and like, oh, I hate being Victoria Vox. <laughs> and, you know, thinking of, like, should I change, you know, as my music evolves. And I guess when I started playing ukulele, I did have this moment of, like, am I... Because yeah, I thought for a minute I was going to be ukulele Vic. Oh, wow, okay. Thank goodness yeah. I did not go that way. Because I was like, I'm Victoria Vox, the singer-songwriter. I'm serious, you know, playing my guitar. And then Ukulele Vic comes out for three songs and plays the ukulele. And so I just I just kept with Victoria Vox. Oh, I'm so glad I asked that question. <laughs> Phew. Well, I don't know about you, but for me, that just flew by. What an open, honest and easy to talk to person. Victoria is. I can't thank her enough for being so generous with her time, and I really hope we'll have a chance to catch up in person again somewhere down the line. I don't know when or where that will be, but I'm sure our paths will cross again somewhere or other. Talking of crossing paths, I'm heading out to Nam very soon, and I was wondering if any of you guys might be there. If you are, let me know, as I'd love to say hi. It's always a thrill meeting listeners out in the wild, as it were. So if you want to meet up, or even if you just spot me across a crowded convention centre floor while you're over there, please come and say hello. Well, that's about it from me today. Oh, except to remind you all to check out Victoria's new album, Nirvana in R.E.M. I have had it on repeat for most of this week, and it really is an absolute treat. I'm sure you'll love it. Apart from that, I've been John Atkins, and until next time... I love you all and I wish you the best. <laughs> <laughs>